Hey everyone, last month we offered a free month of CTC services to any brand with a GQ score of 130 plus. Well, the response was so overwhelming that we're opening the offer up again to accommodate that interest. So if you missed it the first time, here are the details. If your brand is doing 10 to 100 million in annual e-commerce revenue, and we measure its GQ score at 130 or more, we're so confident that we can win for you that your first month with us will be absolutely free. So all you got to do is head over to commonthreadcode.com, click the higher us button to get started, and then let us know in the contact form that you want to be evaluated and we'll be in touch. All right, on to the show. Hey folks, welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gaffin, director of digital product strategy here at Common Thread Collective. And I'm joined yet again by the CEO of CTC, Mr. Taylor Holiday. Taylor, how are you doing today? Just in the mix, making yep. it happen. It's the construction zone, the booming voice of podcast guest, Luke Austin's. We're doing the best. The new office is a work in process. Yeah, right. So yet, yet again, you'll hear some sounds in the background, but that is just the sounds of change, which is maybe the segue into our topic today. Um, so last week, uh, if you guys tuned in, we talked a little bit about a dramatic change we've made in terms of thinking about creative and how to generate creative. And then we walked through that process a little bit. But what that got us thinking about was the general question, the broader organizational question of when do you execute a change like that? So for us, I mean, in some senses, it was not so much of a change. It was more tr leaning into something that we were already planning on doing. But on the other hand, particularly, let's say, for the flow of the offsite that we had a couple of weeks ago, it was a dramatic change from, I think, what we had originally expected to do at that uh, meeting. And then in terms of the way that the organization is structured, you can get into this a little bit, Taylor, in terms of the way our calendars are structured, it, it was a dramatic sh shift in how we schedule our time and think about our time and think about how an entire team works on the project. So as CTC, of course, is not unfamiliar with change, and we've gone through many in the past, but what we wanted to talk about today, and I wanted to dig into with Taylor a little bit, is this idea of when do you 180? When do you make a change? For some people, making a change is difficult. For others, it's a little too easy. Tell us, uh, when does it make sense to make a change in your experience? Well, I think first, contextually, Richard and I, a lot of times with this podcast, are bringing you conversations that he and I would have where we're sort of waxing philosophically about the experiences that we've had working together for many years and what we see at CTC. And this is sort of an output of this where I was sort of offering that I have, over the last you know, 18 months, CTC has been through a lot of change. And in really the last two years, if you go back to switching from in-person to remote, scaling up, scaling down, so many different parts of our organization have shifted. And probably along the way, I've made some decisions that were not the right point of change or caused harm. And you know, all the inputs to that are sometimes hard to sort out, but I, I certainly was amidst, my decision-making was amidst that. And so you, there's this danger to begin to distrust your intuition towards making a change. And that the easier thing to do is to do nothing um, or to continue despite maybe a signal inside of you that says, hey, something's broken and we need to fix it. And I think early on, that intuition is sort of a superpower that drives you forward. And it's an instinct that gets you to evolve and constantly become more and more. And I think as individuals, we sort of move more towards 
trusting ourselves and less towards trusting ourselves, depending on the results of a lot of those decisions. Yeah. Even though there's luck, there's luck related, there's timing, there's other things. It's not always this perfect causality between did you make a good or bad decision. And I was think I was I saw a Twitter thread the other day where someone was quoting Warren Buffett, saying basically that he thinks over the course of his however many years doing what he's doing that he's made like a handful of good decisions like that over 30 years that most of them have been bad or very average, but there's been a handful of good decisions. And so I was just thinking, man, this whole process of as a leader making a decision about to make a functional change inside of an organization is really hard. So that's like this. I just want to set the table for where I'm at emotionally. Just I'm learning again to trust myself in various ways and working through my own sets of question, 12 years into doing this, still wondering, do I have the right instinct for when to do something? Because sometimes I've made the wrong decision and then that's hard. But in terms of the question of when do you make a change, there's a couple of things that I think are really important for leaders to recognize. One is that there are certain changes that only you can make. Um, and this is part of the burden of leadership. It's not just about authority, but it's that the per both the purview of the organization, so how wide you see and what you see, as well as the capacity to alter the directive or KPIs or governing principles of the organization falls on you. And so in many cases, people are functioning under the direction of the system that you've created. And if you want the system to move in a different direction, the system itself will not move off the course you have set. And so in many ways, you are the person setting the course, and so only you can redirect it. And so you have to constantly be assessing the movement of the organization towards the thing that you want, and then you have to decide when you believe it's not going to go there anymore. And the second you reach that point, I think this is really the trigger in my mind, the second you have come to believe inside of you that you are moving away from the thing that you said you were going to do or the target, the goal, the outcome, you have to change the direction. Because otherwise, if you persist every day in a process that you believe is leading you off, of course, you are complicit in the problem, right? And that belief will resonate. Actually, it will self-perpetuate. It becomes this thing where people can feel in you the lack of belief in them, in the direction that you're going. This is another thing I realized is that at least for myself, I don't know how to speak for everybody, but I am not great at being this stoic presence with my emotion. And so people can tell very quickly if I believe or if there's distrust. So I have to first find trust in me and the plan to offer trust into the things that are doing. And if I don't have that, it becomes really obvious. So that's me. When you ask the question, when that moment, when you believe this thing is moving towards, is no longer moving, going to reach the destination that I set out, it is at that point that you have to make the change. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned before, like, well, you referencing the Warren Buffett quote. I mean, it's sort of the parallel would be obviously it's baseball. If you succeed two out of 10 times, you're awful. If you succeed three out of 10 times, you're great. So, you know, within that is obviously like a lot of the decisions to change that people right. make end up being the wrong decision in a sense. So talk me through that. Yes. It's the idea like, okay. so it's part of what you're saying, like intuitively you feel you're going in the wrong direction. Making the change was correct. The exact type of change you made was maybe incorrect. Talk through that. That's right. Thought process. Okay. So th this is so important, right? This is the difference between measuring outcome and process is that I am not saying that you make a decision to change when you are sure that the decision will be right, because that piece of information isn't actually available to you versus I think a much clearer indication is that the present thing you're doing is wrong. 
it's way easier to see that. It's backwards looking. It's presence. You can feel it. The other thing is theoretical, right? The, the decision to go somewhere new, that there's a promised land over there is like, it's unexperienced. You don't know, but you are sitting in the present thing. And so for me, let's use like the creative production process of CTC, which is a lot of the thing we're seeing. It, to me, it was, it had become, and I reached this sort of light bulb moment. It was part of a conversation I was having with one of our AD and Peter, who leads our sales organization, that we just weren't doing the thing we told people we were going to do. Mm -hmm. The promise was broken. And we were in a system where if I win again next week, we're going to break the promise again. And that became acutely obvious to me. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the core of the agency thing is like set expectations, meet expectations, or even exceed expectations. And we were making a promise and we were under delivering on the promise. So... I had to say, okay, we immediately need to change course. What I don't know for sure is that the new course will accomplish that end. And that I think is where people get into paralysis is this idea that they can't decide until they know for sure that the thing will work. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the thing is that is unknowable. You can't actually get to that level of confidence and you have to learn to release that and know that you're allowed to change it yet. That's actually part of the process. Yeah. You mentioned before sort of that intuition towards change being something that served you or maybe generally speaking serves you better in that sort of initial startup phase or whatever when somebody just has to be making decisions constantly you constantly have to be shifting directions to survive at what point do you feel like it's you hit a point where that intuition or that maybe that propensity to change often stops serving you and you have to sort of readjust that i found that it's when I am unclear on the destination. When I become ambiguous or uncertain within me about what I'm trying to accomplish, then I become subject to a lot more of other people's opinions about what we're doing, um, about I fall into people-pleasing mode where I want people to like me or to be satisfied with me, to affirm me, to praise me. Um, and those become the drivers for my decisions. And those I think are really dangerous. And I, one of the most comforting things I've ever found, so Mark Zuckerberg, who, you know, everybody has lots of opinions. I find him to be one of the most incredible, insightful leaders of our, you know, and I listened to this interview one time when he was talking about the metaverse and whatever you think about that decision, I think we could all agree that it was certainly contrarian. And I think repeatedly he does this, but one of the things he said is that he's come to train himself that when he makes a decision, that if all the people who don't have visibility to what he has visibility to agree with the decision, it's a counter signal. It is actually says to him that this is a problem if they can understand it now. Because part of my job as the leader is to lead out into the future of the organization, to look at things through that specific lens, to not analyze the present situation, but to analyze the future. And I'm the only one living there. So if anybody else actually sees it, it's a problem. It probably means it's too short-sighted. Mm -hmm. And so you literally, he says, I've literally programmed myself that if I go public with a decision and I don't get a bunch of negative feedback from people, something's wrong. And that is like really hard because that other part of you, the one that wants to be affirmed as a leader and told how smart you are and have all your other leaders go, that's the right thing to do, is like really real. Um, at least for me, it is. And so... I think that that kind of affirmation, and you hear that from a lot of people, right? And I've heard that, you know, in some version from other folks, and I've experienced it a lot myself, is that you are doing a unique job. You have a unique responsibility inside of the organization. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that someone at a different level with a different set of responsibilities would understand entirely what you're doing at the moment you do it 
is highly unlikely. Now your job is to educate and communicate and reiterate over and over such that you're bringing them into understanding over time. But at the moment of decision, it is unlikely that they will totally agree or understand. Yeah, no, that makes sense. One thing that I was thinking about the whole sort of metaverse debacle, I guess you could call it, was that in the history of just any given brand, even the most respected ones included, are all kinds of insane ideas that we have completely forgotten about. And it is, it's sort of a lot of the skill of entrepreneurship is making those crazy decisions and trusting at least on some level that one of them is going to work out. And that's what's important. I was thinking <laughs> a random example would be, I don't know if you remember the purple ketchup craze back in the late nineties when I was a kid, you know, I'm sure somebody thought that was going to be a rocket ship to the top. It lasted for a couple months and then it faded out. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it was the Heinz ketchup corporation. They're doing fine, I guess. So I think like, I was wondering if maybe we can get, oh, hold on, there we go. Maybe we can get a little concrete about some of these decisions and just maybe talk through some examples with specifics about like, what's an example of a time that you felt you didn't go out on a limb sufficiently? Whew, that's a good question. Time I didn't go out on a limb. So I think there was a long period of time where I had a stated mission at CTC that was not something that we were acting in consistently with. And therefore it's actual effect, very average. Like, like I was getting a level of conviction and connection to the idea that was consistent with the actual belief I was expressing in my behavior relative to that idea. And this was specifically around, uh, the story is that we had this mission statement that was like help entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. Okay, which is like a, one of those really pithy kind of good sounding ideas. But there was this moment, I think it was like 2017 or something. I, we were in the office and it was towards the end of the year and I was sort of reflecting on the year. And I was asking myself this question of like, was it a good year? Mm -hmm. Like, did we do like big G, did we do the mission? Did we accomplish the mission? And so I walked around the office and I sort of asked people like, hey, how many dreams do you think we achieved this year? And one person was like, I don't know, two. Another one was like, I don't know, maybe 50. And it, it was like, it became very clear to me that the idea was ambiguous and no one actually knew if we were doing it. And I think it's because, especially as it relates to mission, there's always this tension between the practicals and the financials and the idea that you say you exist to serve. I don't think that at that moment I was actually out on a limb committed to the mission. Mm -hmm. I think I was using the mission to masquerade for like, build a business that makes money. Mm -hmm. And I think over the next two years, we really committed to that idea and in a very real way from TMYD and the investment we made in that to like, at one point we were asking every one of our customers what their dream is and putting these and really tracking it. We counted them one year. We celebrate like now again, that doesn't mean that was the right mission for the company or that even at the end of it, I would be satisfied, but I wasn't able to evaluate it because I wasn't actually in it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at that point I needed to change that. That's a moment where I was like, partially committed to an idea yeah okay so let's fast forward then to a couple of weeks ago and the sort of strategic shift that we made talk about like how you feel about that especially in terms of like so i think overall and you know obviously for listeners we discussed the specifics of this last week to me that makes a lot of sense which maybe is a warning sign but on the other hand a lot of what we were trying to is, is win for a client that was already happy with us which was a little weird so there there was a couple elements there that kind of play into what we're talking about here, but maybe talk through your sort of thoughts on making that change at that time. 
So the conviction that I think that I have that everyone doesn't have yet is that I feel like I deeply and intimately understand the connection between the creative strategy we need and the media buying philosophy that we put forward. Yeah. Okay. And I think people understand these things in distinction. Like our media buyers understand cost gaps um, and our creative strategists understand making ads. But the way that they connect to each other and even broader than that, like this vision that I have for what we're building at CTC, which is like this operating system that connects marketing and finance that brings together the marketing calendar with a financial forecast into creative planning, into media buying in this, like, I have a vision in my head for this that I don't think anybody understands in totality yet. Mm -hmm. Like something clicked in this conversation to me that this was the pivot point that if I didn't solve the whole thing would collapse. Like the, the trust in the whole thing was actually predicated on solving this problem. And so I think people understand and agree with pieces of it, but it like in that moment, it became really clear to me that the change that we needed to become the thing that I wanted was centered in this issue. So one thing that like, I think came out of that and we've talked about like maybe the types of shifts that you can make. And so you talked a little bit about pursuit of the mission. And I think that this, the change we made most recently is more like you've described more distinctly strategic or tactical. And I think one thing I wanted to talk through was a little bit of get your thoughts on, or maybe your thoughts on this observation of mine that we talked a little bit about a couple of days ago, which is that in some senses, strategy is just choosing to say no to certain things. And what we really sort of dived into with both feet, I would say a couple of weeks ago is very definitively saying no to specific things that may in fact have value and saying yes to things that may not always work. However, they are the things that we are saying yes to specifically, and that's part of generating a unique value proposition. So maybe talk through that a little bit, like the decision to say yes to some things and no to others and how you think about that. I, I think no is the strongest reflection of clarity. Mm -hmm. I think, so I, I've used this metaphor, I think before, but I have a friend, one of our coworkers who is vegan and I'm always, I always marvel at the ease with which he rejects offers of really good soup. Like we'll be out and it's, you know, something delicious. And it's just like, no, that's not what I do. And it doesn't feel weighty to make the clarity is obvious in his identity. And I think that people who have a really strong sense of themselves know is not hard. Um, and it's a really useful tool to the reinforcement of their identity. Um, whereas I find that people who are, don't have a diet plan really don't have a framework to say no to anything, right? Like it, there's just not a good reason to say no to anything. And so it's, Oh, actually like a harder thing to overcome. I think this is true of taking on clients. Like this is a big area where no, I think reflects clarity is that if you don't have a clear ICP and there's been time in that's ideal customer profile, and there's been lots of times at CTC where that's been really ambiguous. And so that, what that means is you're saying yes to, oh, that's actually like a lead gen client that's not on Shopify that can't use our tech stack, but like we could, I bet we could do it, you know? Yeah. And all of a sudden your systems are breaking or hell, we got into like B2B clients for a minute or, you know, whatever apps, you know, all, mm -hmm. all these times where and you sort of cause this chaos versus I think right now, one of the things we feel more clear on is, you know, we have this ICP, it's 10 to hundred million dollars. It's mid market. It's what we call not yet enterprise or next gen brands. And so it's like, it's a clarity that enables no. And I think that's where your strategy then gets to be reinforced by the elimination of the distraction. Maybe, maybe talk a little bit about, so for across maybe D2C businesses that we've seen, because that's a large portion of our listener base, but what does it look like to say no, to refocus and to make that kind of organizational change? 
it's one is to first acknowledge inside of you the fear or feeling that you have about what it means. So uh, let's stick with the client thing because I feel this all the time. My sales, my head of sales comes to me. Here's a client. They want to pay you money. They're just outside of the ICP. They have, they're not on stat. They can't upload the stat list. They're on some other cart, whatever. I, before I say no, I am afraid. Okay. I am afraid that we won't make our new customer revenue number for the month, that we'll miss our target, that we won't achieve the outcome we want. And I have to like look at it. I have to like name that in myself in order to then not allow it to make the decision for me. Mm-hmm. And I have to step back and sort of dance with that emotion for a second and go, okay, what do I want to be more of? The person that like does anything to achieve the financial target or the person who does what I say I want to do? And it's actually about the process of developing trust in myself to become mm-hmm. what I want to become, is to be able to do the thing I said I was going to do. And so I think one is like just to this ability as leaders to acknowledge the feeling that you have. Because I think a lot of times to admit I'm afraid in that moment, even to say that to my sales guy or to mm-hmm. my ops leader is like a weird thing to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. but, I, I, but I am, like, that's what I'm feeling. Like, uh-oh, what if I say no? Do we lose money? Do we have to fire somebody with that? But I've walked now and up the other path to know that the consequence is worse. So that's actually helpful in this case. But so that could, like, if you play that out, I saw it today on Twitter and I think I'm not going to call them out individually, but somebody was saying, I just got this amazing offer from a, you know, a incredible licensor and I don't have the money for the deal, but how could I get it? And it's funny that Sean Frank from Ridge is like the first comment and response. And he's like, you should say no. And it was like this perfect illustration of, and he was like sort of listening out how these deals usually aren't what they want. But like, if you don't have the money yet, it's probably a distraction. Like it might be too soon. And it was like a seasoned somebody who had probably made a ton of mistakes around chasing those kinds of things. And somebody who felt like it was like really exciting. It could change their business. And he was like, right now you should probably say no. Like you should probably focus on achieving the next level. Like, and if you don't have the money, it's probably a signal that it's not the right deal at the right time, you know, um, versus how do I go find the money to get the thing? And it's like, well, no, you just aren't ready for it. Yeah. And I think that experience of like, you can't, you don't want to fast forward the thing into a level that'll break you or die from indigestion and that you need to be clear on the goal for this year and then the goal for next year. And then at whatever point that thing becomes on that roadmap, you make that action. But until then you don't get distracted by it, no matter how good it seems. It's about, again, it goes back to this clarity of purpose, the clarity of vision and being able to act within that. So I think that those are some things that I think about and what I've seen as effective way to get better at no is to acknowledge the emotion of it and then to not feel rushed to become more than you set out to be and be committed to the length of the vision for the journey that you're on. Yeah. Well, I do think it's useful to highlight one thing that you mentioned just now, which is that we have gotten much better at this recently after having years of experience of understanding the long tail consequences of not saying no to the right or saying yes to the wrong things rather. And that is, it's really hard to see that until a lot of time has passed. And I feel too, for me anyway, that you have to get a lot of reps with that failing before you can fully understand how it will definitely fail. And so you, cause even after, let's say, you get five clients that don't really fit and they all kind of collapse in a similarly spectacular way. And a sixth client comes along, they're still offering you a bunch of money right now. And that is still always going to be difficult to say. And I think we've just gotten to a point where 
we viscerally know now that this is going to be a bad thing for us in the future. And we felt the consequences of that. And so that's, you know, from that experience comes a lot of change, I think. And it's important to acknowledge the spaces where you're more prone to it. So like money is a really powerful one yeah. where if you know that if there's money involved, you're more likely to compromise, then you should add an additional layer of review to anything that involves money. So I think about this. Another one is like sponsorship. So we, we even with this podcast or anything else, there's, there's this question of right now of like, what, like, or people coming to me for Twitter feeds or whatever. It's like, will you pay, if I offer you $10,000, will you tweet this? And you're like, man, I'd say a lot of things for $10,000. <laughs> like, what is the actual willingness I have to, to slang whatever for that amount of money? And so that becomes an area where it's like, it's probably a good for an additional set of review to give yourself to not respond quickly for that one. Another one is like, you know, if someone is like, I have one that if a lower level employee, um, meaning there's levels between me and them, just hierarchically comes to me and asks for things. I recognize that I have a disposition to want to be helpful mm -hmm. and to want to be the CEO with an open door policy. And I've had to become aware of how my desire to be seen as a certain kind of person has a negative consequence on the leaders that are, I'm trying to empower underneath me. And so I have to be take a step back in those moments and go, okay, is this a thing I need to say no to this meeting or this time with this person actually for the sake of the leaders that I'm trying to develop and their relationship that I want between that person and their manager or whatever it might be. And I have to, I know that's an area where I have, like I'm prone to making a decision that's about a short term feeling. And so I think just being able to identify, and that's what you're talking about is that over time you find the things that are harmful, you mm -hmm. find, you learn what you emotionally respond to fastest. And you start to be able to then build up the surrounding circumstance to make better decisions. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's okay to like acknowledge that you're not going to make the decision naturally. Mm -hmm. Like the example for me is if I don't have people to work out with in the morning, I won't show up Yeah. like for myself. And so I hate that about myself. I wish I was this incredibly David Goggins disciplined person. But I also have decided that like, rather than trying to white knuckle, be that person and just become it, I found people to work out. Mm -hmm. And you know what I do? I work out every day. Right. And so, but acknowledging that weakness or that vulnerability allows me to build the system <laughs> to actually get to the thing that I want. And I so I think these things are like that, where you recognize the areas where saying no is hard mm -hmm. and you maybe build a more secure system to protect you in it. Yeah. There's almost like a cause, let's call it sort of like a positive Machiavellianism, which is that the ends justify the means. And if the means don't look exactly right, oftentimes for us, like for me too, that's the same thing with me and working out, which is that the energy to get myself to go to the gym with when nobody's there is actually greater than the energy it takes to work out. And that feels bad to me. It feels a morally bad character yeah. thing. But if you just sort of acknowledge that like really nobody cares and if I don't care either, and I'm willing to accept that I just need other people to be there to like shame me if I don't show up to work out, then the end outcome is going, I'm going to work out. And that's ultimately what I really want. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's a really powerful thing to, to be able to acknowledge about ourselves versus like, I think it's easy to look around and go, but it seems easy for that person or they just do it so well or like, and, and so you're like, I have to be, it has to be easy. Not only do I have to do it, but it actually has to seem easy for me, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. And I th that's really dangerous. The other thing I would say is like we wrap up and, and sort of trying to make this practical back to e-commerce and managers is that we're like sort of halfway through the year, right? We're coming into, we're, you know, starting month eight and there's a chance you're 
meaningfully off course mm-hmm. in, in yeah. some direction, or you're staring out at Q4 and you're like, it's just, I just don't think it's going to happen. Like mm-hmm. I, there's something missing. Right. And so by the time you get to November, it's probably too late to change. Right. And so this is a moment to sort of check your gut and go, do I believe in the course? Mm-hmm. Like, am I convicted such that I can lead other people into a belief in something? Like, do I have that level of conviction in the path right now? And if not, what would need to change such that I would believe? Mm-hmm. And I think this is another thing that is that if I find myself that I can't believe, I'm the leader. I have to, if I don't believe, it will ooze into everyone. Mm-hmm. And so your own conviction is a part of this that's worth checking on. Pull up the forecast, look at the number that you have written down at the end of the year. And here's the thing. If you don't believe it's the right one, change it. Or if you don't believe the strategy to get there is the right one, change it. Change something to correct course because there's still time and your conviction in that issue matters. Cool. All right, folks. Well, I think that about does it for us. Appreciate it, Taylor. Good advice as always. And remember, when you want to make a change, the change needs to be towards focusing, not necessarily towards expansion. I think it's a good way to, go to summarize that. But all right, folks, we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.